and good morning. I too want to welcome each one of you to our service this morning. <clears throat> I think if any there was ever a time I didn't want to be here, it's this morning, but I want to carry out my responsibility faithfully. A few months ago, I shared something from my past with a brother, and he responded, you must share that. My response to him was something like, Maybe sometime in the future, I don't want to be misunderstood. But what I really meant was sometime in the far distant future, as in never. I guess you can see where this is going. When I'm meditating for direction of this sermon, the request that you must share that came to mind. I did not want to, but I knew better than to refuse the prompting. So this morning, this sermon weighs heavy on me, and has in the time I felt pressed to preach it, which is probably the last two months. For a scripture lesson this morning, turn me to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. We'll read from selected portions here. We'll start with verses one to seven. Josiah was eight years old and began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. He died with the right inside of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them. He cut down, and he cut down, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molded images he break in pieces, and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that is sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, which are with their maddocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the green images into powder and cut down all the olives throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. And drop me down to verse 14, we're reading 14 to 19. And when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. Hilkiah delivered a book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All is committed to thy servants, they do it. They have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it into the hands of the overseers, the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law, they rent his clothes. In verses 29 to 33, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up in the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. He read in their ears all the words of the book the covenant was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart 
with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it, and have in Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, and desired to go away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel, and made all their present Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. <clears throat> Let us bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning's hour. We do thank you for this time you've given to us. We can gather around your word. We just pray you'd be in our midst. You would help us. We might look into your word. We might see your truth. You would speak to us from your word. Help me faithful. Help me to be faithful in delivering the message you have given to me. It might be received and heard according to the way you want it to be heard. Pray to help us in the church to be faithful, followers of yours, is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in the months prior to leaving my former church, I had a meeting with someone of some standing in the church. In that meeting, he made a statement I have not forgotten. What he said did not really make sense to me. It did not seem to be possibly true. But as I came to understand the reality of it, it truly sat in my heart. What he said was, you actually believe what you say you believe. Most people here don't. I had to think hard about that statement. You actually believe what you say you believe. Most people here don't. Sometime after I left my former church, a man from the community, who apparently felt freer to talk since I was no longer a member, said to me, I never understood that church. I knew what the preachers professed. I knew what the members were like during the week. I suppose what he was saying was he didn't actually believe what they said they believed. But I would allow, also allow, that what he said was not entirely fair. And I reason to include he had not interacted with all the members. But still, he said it. And years before I got married when I was dating, there was an older Christian man I worked with who knew what I did on my dates. Because everyone did it. I could not convince that man that I was morally pure. The same man also told me stories from his youth. For him, Christians engaging in bad behavior was normal and to be expected. Sadly, with this example and with others I could mention, I've come to include that the problem is more widespread than just one church. I am not sharing all this because I want to lift myself up. I know my weaknesses and my failures. I am not sharing this to bash a church. I do not want this morning to tear down others to build myself up. The evaluation I gave is from within the church and from without the church that I spoke of. I loved my church. I am sharing this to give instruction and warning to us today. We do not want this to be a testimony of ourselves or of our church. 
Satan is busy. His desire is to tear down and to destroy. Satan wants to set of us to enact. We do not actually believe what we say we believe. He wants us here to be like the oasis in Exodus 15, where the waters were bitter and the people could not drink. God wants us to be like the oasis after it was healed and the waters were sweet. How do you come to the place where you're a genuine Christian? How do you come to the place where it can be said of you that you actually believe what you say you believe? I would submit to you that a genuine Christian can actually be a rather immature person, at least in the beginning of their Christian walk. They can have a lot of growing to do. They can be miles or maybe more probably years away from being what they should be. But they're a person who seeks God's will, acts upon God's will, grows in God's will, and perseveres in God's will, until the end of life. On the other hand, the Christian is not genuine, who does not actually believe what they say they believe, can be seen to be far ahead of an immature, genuine Christian. They might be lifelong good members of the church. They might be church leaders, men of power and influence, but they follow the status quo. They do what everybody knows is right, at least in the proper settings, but there is a double standard. They're like the people in Mark 7, 6. They honor God with their lips, and their heart is far from him. Mark 7, 6 is a quote from Isaiah 29, 13, which reads, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And verse 14 of Isaiah 29 reads, and it contains a sobering judgment or consequence from God for honoring him only with your lips. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous, which means astonishing, do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Their wisdom is lost. Wise men who have lost their wisdom somehow do not realize it. They're like Samson in Judges 16.20. And he wist or knew not that the Lord was departed from him. How sad a commentary. This morning the sermon is titled The Genuine Christian. Point one is setting a course. On August 31st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 departed from John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City. It was bound for Kimpo International Airport in Seoul, South Korea. The flight refueled in Anchorage, Alaska and headed for Seoul. It was to be a straight course from point A which was Anchorage, to Seoul, which was their destination. However, due to a slight 
navigational error made by the crew, the flight flew off course. It was only a very slight error. But as they progressed, they got further and further off course. The trajectory of their flight took them over Soviet territory. Unfortunately, this is at the height of the Cold War, and the Soviets shot them down. The slight deviation from the proper course led them far astray. 269 people perished. All of this seems pretty cut and dry. There is much truth to the idea we must set our course correctly, and if we don't, something bad is going to happen. We see it all the time. It's also somewhat idealistic. If you set your course right, you end up right. If you set your course wrong, you end up wrong. The truth is some deviate from our proper course and go wrong, and others deviate from our own course and go right. We are not stuck on some plane where we are forced to go where a leader takes us. We all have the freedom to choose our course. Our plane is not and cannot be set on autopilot where we go to sleep and we end up at our destination, as those who would teach eternal security would have us to believe. We are flying, so to speak, in our Christian life, where we hold the controls, we make the decisions, and we must hold a proper course to our destination. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even... Be ye followers of me, even... Missed something in my, my notes here. Be you know, I, I also am of Christ. We are to follow leaders, but only as far as they follow Christ. The people in the Korean airliner were helpless. Their lives were in the hands of their pilot. As I said, we are not stuck like that. We have the freedom to choose and correct our course. Setting our course is choosing to follow God. In a truest sense, it is saying, of course, to walk in obedience to God. This morning I have chosen the account of King Desire as an example of walking the proper course. In verse 2 of Second Chronicles 34, we see that Desire walked in all the ways of David his father. We might note that in Judah, David quite often mentioned as a benchmark evaluating whether a king was good or bad, just as in the northern king of Israel, Jerry was son Nebat was the benchmark for good or evil. Josiah turned either to the right hand or the left. He charted a straight course. It looks so simple when written in scripture. He did right. We should remember his father was Ammon who did evil. His grandfather was Manasseh, who really did evil. 
Second Chronicles 33, 1 and 9 gives a record of Manasseh's sins and the punishment came, came because of it. He led Israel into deep, deep sin. It was a sin that the Lord said he would not pardon. We do know that Manasseh repented later days, but he had filled the land with sin. On this scene, eight-year-old Josiah arrived. From Second Chronicles 34, 3, we see that when he was 16, he began to seek after the Lord. That was eight years into his reign. And of course, he was a child when he began to reign. Others would have been leading the country. At 16, he began to seek after the Lord. Just as Josiah set his course, so too each one of us must set our course. When we set a course, it does not mean we understand everything about the course. It does not mean everything will go smoother from here on. It means that we choose the goal. We choose where we want to end up. We want to serve God. We want to follow God. We want to obey God. And it does not matter what those that go before us have done. It does not matter what those around us are doing. We, we choose to follow God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 13, to 14, 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended. For this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to set a course. We need to press toward the mark. But how do we do that? How do we set a course? As I already said, setting our course is choosing to follow God. It is a choice. It is setting a course to walk in obedience to God. We go back to the verse I read earlier, Isaiah 29, 13, where it says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as his people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me has taught up their precept of men. If we would change that verse to the positive, it would read, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as his people draw near to me with their mouth, lift to honor me, and have drawn their heart close to me, and the fear toward me is taught by the precept of God. We cannot remove our heart from God. We must draw toward God. And we must have God taught by the precept of God, not man's thoughts. There, that is a distinct difference between the people who actually believe what they say they believe and those who don't. The one has set a proper course, and the other is flying off course. No matter how much of a slight deviation that is, it will lead to the wrong place. Looking at the Thompson Chain reference, it gives us this one, giving the whole heart to God. We're to give our heart in love. We're to give it in obedience. We're to give it in trust. We're to give it in prayer and in repentance. And there are verses there to go with that. If we were to be a genuine Christian, one who actually believes what they say they believe, we would need to set a course to our goal. 
Point one of our sermon this morning was setting a course. Point two is holding that course. In the years that my son Josiah was serving on the reservation in South Dakota, we made several trips to South Dakota to visit him. Traveling across the highway in the Midwest was different than the local roads here back in the East. One thing I noticed one time when I was traveling, the vast stretch of the relatively flat land on a very windy day was that the crosswinds could be rather nasty. The highways were built up from the surrounding land and the wind seemed to come up the bank and they tried to blow me off the road. My full-size van caught a lot of wind. And I would find if I wanted to hold a straight course down the highway, I would have to continuously hold that steering wheel, just turn a little bit into the wind to keep holding that straight course. I had to compensate for that push that wanted to get me off of my course. It was challenging driving. When a trailer truck passed me, it blocked the wind, and I tended to want to dart into the truck. When I went under an overpass, the wind was blocked, and again, the van they went all course. I had to pay attention. Especially the challenge was to see where roads went under the highway for the wind speed changed. And again, I had to keep holding that thing. It was a challenge to keep it on the road. The goal was to stay on the course, which of course was the highway. But outside pressure, which was the wind, wanted to push me off course. It required constant vigilance on my part. On the other hand, when driving was easy, the tendency was not to be as diligent, which was also dangerous, as I would get sleepy, which would cause me to get off course. In a similar way, as we travel the highway of life, we have to be ever diligent that we stay on course, lest the winds push us off course or these allows us to drift. Remember, we want to be genuine Christians who actually believe what they say we believe versus someone who gives the appearance of being a Christian but not actually believe what they say they believe. We need to be aware of the danger of driving slightly off course and not ending up where we intended to end up. This sermon is intended for believers. It does not directly address those who take an exit and go off into the world or those who are living in the world, even though slightly off course by the same result as taking an exit. King Josiah turned either to the right hand or to the left. He instituted reforms in Judah. He broke down altars. He moved idolatrous priests. And I would think that surely there was pushback. Surely there was pressure not to be so harsh, to compromise, to have better relations than to keep the peace. I would think that there was wind pressure pushing at him to get him off course. But the scripture gives us no record of it. If we compare King Josiah, who set his heart to do right, with King Amaziah in 2 Kings 14.3, where it tells the king Amaziah, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all things as Joash his father did. What would it look like for someone who did what was right 
but not like David. Surely he must have been not perfectly on course. And in Second Chronicles 25.2, it also talks about King Amaziah, where it said, He did die with the right inside of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. His heart was not perfect as he was doing right. And I have to wonder, what does that look like? How can I be following God, but not with a perfect heart? God wants us to follow him perfectly. Matthew 5.48 tells us, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And in Colossians 1.28, Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We, must, we need to remember, we need to hold fast to the faith. Hold fast to the course that we have chosen to follow. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We see in these verses instruction to be perfect and to hold fast. And in 2 Peter 3.17, we are instructed, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you knew all these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. We need to be so diligent that we resist the push of the world. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen tells us, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. The word quit means to conduct. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, conduct you like men, be strong. The first point of lesson of our sermon was to set that course, to set a proper course. The second point, as we're looking at it, is to resist the pressure to get off course. And there is much pressure in this world. If we allow ourselves to go off course, we are right back to the opening illustration that we have here on the board, where we are flying slightly or maybe majorly off course. I want to focus on two elements of how it, what it looks like, how we can get pushed or drawn or drift off course. The first way is influence. Well, the two ways are there is influence and then there is the influence that is brought. There are those that influence us, and then there's the influence that they bring to us. We can look at influence like a truck. A truck can haul Bibles. A truck can haul pornography. The truck is the vehicle bringing the cargo. It is the influence It is bringing something to us. We're discussing that this morning. We are looking at the bad side of influence, not the good side for right now. We're looking at the bad side of influence. But what brings influence? Friends bring influence. Relatives, co-workers, media, entertainment, 
recreation. I suppose the list could go on. It's not an exhaustive list, but you get the point. These are the things that bring influence into our lives. There are methods by which bad influence can be brought or maybe pressure you to get off course. The influence that is brought on a negative side, I'm well aware we can have good influence, but on the negative side, they can tell us what's well, okay to cheat a little bit. Look at this picture. Oh, check out that website or that movie. Everybody is doing it. Or maybe lots of Christians are doing it. It's an influence that brought into our lives to pressure us to get off the course that we belong on. We as Christians must be careful with both influence and influencers. It's the things they brought, it's the people that bring them, or the, or the situations that bring the influence. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight tells us, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The verse... Verse 58, I just read, starts with, therefore, which sends it back to what was previously written. The whole of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, is a lot to unpack, and I'm not going to do that this morning. But I will comment that we can pull out of chapter 15 that it tells us that there is a future in heaven with God. The therefore means, in essence, if you want to attain that destination of heaven, you must be steadfast, unmovable, Always abound in the work of the Lord. We need to be intentional in holding our course. Just when I drove down that highway with that really nasty crosswind, I need to be intentional in holding my course. And when I didn't have the wind and driving so easy and it just went on and on and I got sleepy, I still needed to be intentional in holding the course. The Christian life is not one of ease. It's about being intentional in holding our course. But how do we be intentional in holding a course? <clears throat> now try to think of a, a list of things that we need to do so we can hold a course. So I can give you this nice little list. And I started going with a list and then number one was being God's word. We need to search the scriptures like the Bereans did. We need to pray. We need to have thanksgiving. We need to have obedience. I was working this list how we can be intentional in holding a course, and I was struggling with it. And I realized that holding the course is not necessarily about following some formula. Even though the things I mentioned, being God's word and prayer and obedience, these are all very important. But we can't just have a formula. It is about choosing to carefully walk in God's ways and obedience to his word. The brethren would have said in the past, we have no creed. The New Testament is our creed. Meaning the entire New Testament is our guide. Ephesians 4, verses 1, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith where, where you are called. And then verse 14 says, 
that we thenceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by a window doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness when you lie to lie in wait to deceive. If we desire as we should to stay on course and avoid being tossed to and fro and carried by every window doctrine and all other evils that might come our way, we must be a student of God's word and have that desire to walk in obedience to his word. So we see we need to choose a course. We need to hold the course. And point number three, we need to correct our course. We're correcting our course. Sometime around the same time as the airline incident in 1983, someone told me about a decision they had made to make a lifestyle change. I was thrilled. It was just a small decision this person was going to make, but I knew it would change the trajectory of their life. The correction lasted a few weeks, maybe a little bit longer. One of the benefits of getting older, as I am, is observing people over the course of their life. I now see this person's children and grandchildren, and it makes me sad. I wish they had held the corrected course. Not to hold myself up, but about that same time, a little bit previous to that, I made some slight changes in my course. And I suppose those changes would not seem too significant to most conservative Anabaptists, but it put me on a course. I am thankful he did nudging the Spirit and that I held that corrected course and my destination was changed. As I said before, saying a course is not about aiming in the right direction, automatically ending up there, even though it's very important to aim in the right direction. As we follow the correct course, as we understand it, to get from point A to point B, God can and will put his finger on areas of our lives that he once changed. It might be through a book, a sermon, an event, a person, the study of the Bible, or God's still small voice. But he will point out errors that need corrected. At the place where God says, this must change, we cannot refuse. We cannot say, we've always done it this way. We cannot say, all Christians do it this way. Or at least the ones in our circles do it that way. And at this point in the sermon, this is where my opening illustration breaks down. The opening illustration is, you said, of course, from point A to point B, and you follow that course. But as I was studying, I came to realize when we are on what we see as the correct course and refuse to heed God's promptings to make corrections, if we stay on the same course, we will end up on the wrong course. Let me repeat that. When we're on what we see as the correct course and refuse to heed God's promptings to make corrections, if we stay in the same course, we will end up on the wrong course. Let me explain. To stay in the correct course, you must always be walking in obedience to God. 
at the place where God points out a need for correction if we refuse find ourselves deviating off the course, even though our lives are being lived exactly like they were before. It's complicated, but yet it's not. We cannot walk our lives doing the exact same thing when God says that is wrong, even if we've always done it and we thought it was always right. As I wrote this, And I will confess to you that I did not sit down with this wonderful message that I wanted to give to you all. I sat down and I started, and in the end, I didn't even know how it all came to pass, besides God's Spirit. And as I wrote this, I realized that this is the concept where many Christians in Christendom err today. They can see bad in people that needs to be corrected but they see themselves as doing it right and there is no need for change. The reality is we must have a sensitivity to God's promptings. We must desire for him to speak into our hearts. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 explains it well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way Everlasting. A few months ago in our midweek service, a brother shared from Psalm 24, 3 and 4, where we read in verse 3 and 4, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, And as he shared, I looked in my hands. Now, being a farmer, my hands are calloused, and there are cracks in them. I looked at them, and they were not entirely clean. Guess they still aren't. A little bit of stain over here. They are not entirely clean. And I was impressed with the thought, as the brother was speaking, I was impressed with the thought that I must have cleaner hands. I must have a sensitivity to God's promptings of where the dirt is in my life. And while verse 5 of Psalm 24 is not really a part of the direction we're going this morning, it says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. We must desire to have cleaner hands. We must desire to walk closer with God. And when we have that desire, he can speak into our lives. He can show us places where we need change. In Acts 17, verses 22 to 31... 
Acts 17, 22 to 31. We see here Paul's account when he was on Mars Hill speaking to the people of Athens. And he said, and the scripture reads, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, Thinking the Lord of heaven and earth dwells not in temples made with hands. He was worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and made of one blood all nations of men, where dwell all the face of the earth, had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that, that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, grain of art and man's device. In the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent." Paul was at this place preaching to people who were ignorant of God's ways. As he explained his truth to them, he made a statement I always found to be rather curious. But I've in recent years come to start to understand a little bit, even though I do not profess to have a full understanding. He states that God winked at the sins they committed in ignorance. As I looked at that, It appears he overlooked the accountability of his sin until he showed them their sin. Now, I'm not sure what all that means to look out in the world of people and say, well, they never heard. But at this place, it appears he overlooked that sin until he showed it to them. But he concludes with the verse with, but now, command all men everywhere they need to repent. At the place where God showed error, change needed to occur. That will make you different from most people around here. At the place where God shows you the error, if you will make that change, it doesn't matter what people around you do, it's what you are told to do. If you don't, you'll find yourself in the wrong path even though you never Change direction. I am convinced that people who refuse to hear the voice of God and then, and then in their Christian lives ask God, what do you want me to do, are in danger of receiving no further instruction. We cannot refuse to heed God's voice. But Satan is always happy to give instruction and assure them they are doing right. He's always happy to give them ways in which they can live that will lead them slightly off course. When God speaks, it always lines up with his word. When Satan gives us nudgings, it does not line up with God's word. 
Cain's desire had chosen to walk with God. We saw in verse 2 of our scripture this morning. He had chosen a proper course, and he held that proper course. He did what was right inside the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David's father, and he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. But when Cain desire realized it was an error, and I'm not sure what all was in the book, and I'm not sure how, how all he responded to it, but when Cain desire realized it was an error, he had a choice to make. He had to change course to stay on the course. He had to make the correction. He could not say, I have chosen to follow God. I am walking with God. I will continue the direction I've been going. When he realized, when he saw in the book, this isn't right, he needed to change. As I said, many people fail right here. They choose to do right. They are not turning aside to the right hand or the left. But when God points out an error, they refuse to change because they know they're doing right. The end result is a life that lacks a necessary correction. And because of that disobedience, they fall away their initial resolve to do right. Let me illustrate. I want to read you a modified version of something I shared with devotions quite a number of years ago. When I was around 11 years old, my father took me to a revival revival service. The minister preached a fiery sermon on the evils of television. I had given up a night of TV to go hear him. At 11, I was confused, but intrigued. When I married, I decided there would be no TV in my home. I didn't want that influence in my home. But I watched when I was away from home. Everyone who not on TV did that. Even the preacher who preached on the evils of TV did that. One night, when we, my wife and I, stopped in to visit my parents, and I did what I always do, I sat down and watched what they were watching. And I criticized my mother for what she was watching on the TV. And she simply said, you're watching it. That was the most powerful sermon my mother ever preached. I was deceived. I thought this was okay. And I was a hypocrite. And she pointed it out. And she pointed it out clearly. Through my mother, God pointed out an error in my life. Much has changed in 40 years, but the principles of deception are the same. Well, I am deceived. I think lie is the truth. And I offer that in sincerity to others. And I offer that deception to others. Eve was deceived and offered to her husband. The most believable deceivers are the people we know, we love, and we trust. Satan wants to draw people away from God, but he knows that committed Christians will not fall for false doctrine and denial of Christ. He is fast when we fall for little deceptions that draw us away from God and change the trajectory of our life. Satan is the father of lies. He wants us to believe a little, long, a little wrong is all right. 
I gave up watching all TV, but I will confess to my shame it was not as instantaneous as it should have been, but the change did happen. And the preacher who preached a fiery sermon, I believe most of his children followed what he did when he was away from home, not what he taught, and so did his congregation. This account illustrates what I have been trying to share about the genuine Christian. When we say we believe something and allow things that violate our stated belief, we allow those things into our lives, we do not actually believe what we say we believe. This scenario plays out over and over again in Christendom. When God shows us an error in our lives, we must make the necessary changes. If I continued my TV watching ways, the end result of my family would have turned out much differently. Of course, the Christian life is not about fixing just one error. It is about closely walking with God and continuously making corrections as God directs. In 2 Kings 23, 25, We read a, a commentary on King Josiah. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. There was no king like King Josiah. He chose to walk in God's ways. He chose to correct. Adam Clark has a comment he made on that verse. I want you all to catch this comment. None ever sat on a Jewish throne so so truly exemplary in his own conduct and so thoroughly zealous in the works of God. David was a greater, but not a better man than Josiah. And we think of King David, we think of a great king. But the commentator says that David was a greater, but not a better man than Josiah. And for us today, each one of you can be better than any great person. It don't matter what they have accomplished in life. It don't matter how many revival services, how many whatever they have, and they look so great. It is in the grasp, it is in the possibility for each one of you to be a better person. Your greatness is not what's the most important. It's being the person God wants you to be, even if it means you're in obscurity. This morning, as I was 
milking my cows, well, many times as I have something on my mind, I keep running it through my mind, and and with a sermon to preach, I like to review it, and if everything goes well and everything is routine, that's fine. If something goes wrong and somebody kicks me, not somebody, some cow kicks me, if I get kicked, that kind of distracts. But this morning, I could not get this sermon in my mind. There was a song that kept going through my mind. Number 352. Rise up, O man of God. Rise up, O man of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O man of God. His kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O man of God. The church for you doth wait. Her strength and equal to her task, rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. I struggle with how to conclude this sermon. On the one hand, I do not want to condemn anyone. I want to allow for growth. I want to be understanding of where you are in your Christian walk. On the other hand, understanding has its limits. We cannot allow ourselves to be immature. We cannot allow ourselves to be immature our entire life. A child must grow. They need instruction and correction to bring them to maturity. I once heard a man, when speaking of the sins of the children of Israel, say, we do not want to be too hard on them, for we do the same things. That was not spoken in a private setting. We do not want to be too hard on them. We do the same things. When he said that, I was horrified. He recognized the hypocrisy of condemning others for what we do ourselves, but he missed the need to learn from them and to correct ourselves. We cannot go solve the sins of others to justify or allow our own shortcomings. I recognize the risk I've taken in sharing the account I shared in the beginning of this sermon. The risk is why I never wanted to share it publicly. I have shared what I believe God laid on my heart. If I had not been as clear as I should have been, I pray God would grant you understanding. May each one of us have such a testimony that you said of us, you actually believe what you say you believe. And we as a church have such a testimony that it may never be said of us, I don't understand that church.
set a course, hold the course, correct the course you become aware of an error. May God bless.